entertainment wise for me this tops anything that happens in the four years like there's nothing better than this it's just been it's just been amazing i can't i almost feel like the best of it has passed watching that last round of group games um i'm sure it has to some extent i mean like what there's there's 64 matches i think in the tournament and we've already played 56 of them yeah and we predicted the group games with one game <laughs> left going in, and I think we got one group out of eight with correct teams and correct order, which was how it breaks. Argentina and Poland. Yeah. So, and even that was almost down to yellow cards. Like it was about two minutes away from being down to yellow cards. So, just goes to show. I also think this ha- this happened to be one of the best ones of all time. Like maybe people are protesting against the changes in the group format but yeah so i I was reading that the that it's actually not going to be three team groups like they were saying for the next tournament that it's actually going to be four team groups and the third place team will go through which i prefer yeah i think that's better than the three the three team groups i don't think it's like as good as as good as it is now I i think the suspense of having two teams go through is what really makes it um and there will be a lot of groups that are dead after the second game yeah i'm gonna bet that um well i don't think there will be any dead groups because if you can get out as a a third place team that to only meet like a zero point team could get out with a win i don't think you'll have dead groups but i'm gonna guess this 48 team tournament like format isn't gonna last many tournaments i'm gonna guess we see three or four 48 team tournaments and then they go to 64 it's just it's too awkward of a number to be a long-term format i think yeah i think 64 would be a more fun tournament but i also think it's too many teams relative to how many there are i agree yeah like there's 200 roughly teams in association football so having 64 means one third of teams go to the world cup that feels like too much but i'm i'm more in favor of that than 32 teams with a skew or sorry 48 teams with a skewed Anyway, yeah, let's get into this. Um, I would start with Orania, which is what we did last time, but instead I'll start with the States. Honestly, as usual, there was a big meltdown after they lost because everyone hyped them up to win this. And personally, I thought we saw a pretty good US side in terms of tournament performance, and they just lost to a team that was better. Um, You probably have a more a stronger take on this than I do. So I'll let you get going with that. Yeah. So I think this is obviously the strongest U S team ever um, from like a back to front perspective. Honestly, I would say maybe their star players aren't as good as their previous star players. I think Dempsey is like by far the best American player ever uh, personally. Um, And I think you look at the performances and and the numbers, like you can substantiate that he was like an actual top end Premier league striker. Um, and I think they visibly missed that in this match. Um, uh, but beyond that, yeah, good U.S. team. I think it was significantly worse than this Dutch team. Surprise. I mean, uh, you probably could have gathered that from what I've said about them in our last podcast and just generally if you follow me on Twitter. But yeah, this if you look at the XG from this match, it looks very even. I think that's a misrepresentation of how the game flow actually went. The U.S. had basically three chances one of them came from a trailing off sideline very early. That was Pulisic's chance. Basically, just like the ball fell kindly and Blint should have been higher up the pitch. 
I wouldn't make too much of that. Yeah, they could have scored it and the game could have been totally different, no doubt about it. Another one was from a corner, and then the other one was the goal, which was just kind of a freak goal. I think this is by far the best Dutch performance of the tournament, but still sloppy. I guess I've moved away from the U.S., but what are your thoughts on the U.S. performance? Yeah, I, I mean, we can talk about the Dutch, too. It's a good time, and that's ultimately what we have from this discussion to move forward with, right? But, yeah, we actually are... Our analysis of the states in the last episode, I thought was pretty good. Um, and I thought it ended up being exactly what LVG played to exploit. So we were talking about how they were vulnerable to direct uh, play through their press, as well as we, we specifically used the example of, you know, teams going long to a target man. But I think it also applies to just direct play that gets the ball from back to front quickly. And they're also good at pressing, but not good at breaking down blocks. So what LVG did was he set up a block, let them have the ball, and then when they gave it away, played through them really vertically. Uh, the Dutch obviously have a number of very press-resistant players. I thought they all shun. When they got the ball from back to front quickly, the U.S.'s entire defensive shape fell apart, and they conceded chances. Um, in terms of the XG, this is typical. A team goes up 2-0 in a World Cup game. Um, they're in control of the game. Therefore, the other team has more incentive to attack and they have to chase the game. Therefore, they create more chances. That's what happens with XG. It wasn't a case of at nil-nil, this game was super even, right? Yeah, so in terms of the Dutch's execution, I think they were, like you said, still sloppy. I think you got to see what was in mind for a number of the players in this match that you didn't get to see in the group stages. Uh, Daily Blind and Denzel Dumfries are the two that come to mind. Blind tore the states apart with his passing. Uh, Dumfries tore them apart in the final third with a little bit more space to execute his actions on the ball and a little bit more time to time his actions off the ball um, in the penalty box, which is his goal. So, yeah, I think the states played a good tournament. I think they had their clear weaknesses. I honestly, there's been a lot of talk about coaching, but... I think their squad just has these weaknesses. I don't think it's a huge coaching issue. Like they did what I would expect, plus maybe slightly better in this tournament. Yeah, yeah. As for their squad, like I said earlier, clearly the best U.S. squad ever. However, I think you need to like contextualize what that means because this is the first time you've had a U.S. squad that's like basically entirely playing in Europe in in relatively top leagues. Um, but playing in those top leagues is not the same thing as excelling in those top leagues. Take, for example, the U.S. midfield. I think Adams is a good Premier League player. Um, McKenney plays for Juventus, so at, like, face value, he looks like he's a Champions League footballer. I don't think he actually is. Uh, I think if you ask a lot of Juventus fans and, and other people who've watched him in volume, they'll say he's not actually a very talented player. Uh, but relative to the U.S., he is. Um, he's still one of the best midfielders the U.S. has ever had, but he doesn't shape up in comparison to, like, top midfields. Um, and, and then you take Musa, who I think is talented. He has, he's got, he has got likable attributes, but he's still not a top-level player, despite being very young. So you, you can't really say he won't be later. But this, what this midfield is, which is supposed to be the strength of this U.S. team, is still not a really high-level unit. It's like a good unit. You have it... Honestly, I think it wouldn't be it would be a unit that wouldn't be out of place on a relegation contender in the Prem. And that's not a hit. That's the best midfield the US has ever fielded by a long shot. And if they keep on improving, that's a good thing. 
Yeah, there are also some, I think, contestable personnel decisions going on here. As much as I just said, I think Burhalter did a good job. I do feel like Brendan Aronson's better than at least one of the three midfielders you just listed. And I don't feel that his presence would have been a massive trade-off in another direction. Um, but I think what you really have here is a case of a very athletically capable team with players who have particular strengths in certain areas, but they're coming against a team that is just full of European quality players who are at the top of their game and they're not ready to compete at that level. And that's all it pretty much is. The team fell apart when you exploit their weaknesses. Um, and as much as you can say, if it was so easy to exploit their weaknesses, is that a fault of coaching? I would say I think the coach did well to play to their strengths and their strengths just weren't enough. Um, I think that's pretty much all in that match. And before we talk about maybe Netherlands versus Argentina, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Argentina game itself. Firstly, Australia, I thought their setup was really cool in this game. They obviously aren't going to mount any form of attacking threat in a game like this against a strong Argentina defense. We talked about how Argentina don't concede anything. And so what they did was they made it super difficult for Argentina to progress the ball and create. And through like half an hour or 35 minutes, Argentina created nothing, like no shots. Gomez had one shot and it was like a cut in from the left side way over the bar. They were struggling a lot in build up. I said before the match that I thought Argentina should be playing Lissandro. I still think that not only because of what he offers out of possession, but also his ability on the ball will cut some of the systemic issues I think Argentina have in build-up. Um, but Australia were just really narrow, nice mid-block, made it super difficult for them to play through, didn't allow them to make crosses into the box, which is what Argentina do a lot for some reason. And other than a moment of magic for Messi, it honestly felt like Australia could have gone for a while in this match without needing, um, without needing to attack and being in their comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty dead game until that, that messy goal, which was a brilliant goal. And I think that, like, anytime you can kill a game, you can make it really boring as a huge underdog, the way that Australia was, that is a win. Because it means that the, the team that's supposed to be creating tons of chances isn't. And Australia obviously accomplished that. Um, obviously, if you have Messi, you can break any block just with a, a, a moment, and that's really what happened. Um, but yeah... I, I don't think Australia looked like conceding until suddenly they had. Uh, and even after that, this game didn't really open up until like the last 30 minutes after the second goal, which was just a goalkeeper mistake. Then Australia realized they really had to go after the match, which they did. And then Messi put on a clinic in transition. Um, as for Lisandro, um, yeah, I agree. I think t- taking away or attempting to take away our United bias here, at international tournaments, you're almost never going to see a team's backline pressed. It just doesn't really happen, especially when they're in settled possession um, after having regained the ball and, and moved the ball up the pitch. It's just that most teams don't have the coordination as a pressing unit to consistently press in their own half um, from the front. So what you wind up with is the center backs have a ton of time on the ball. Um and there's two ways this, you, this can work out, or you can use this to your advantage. One, you can play very defensive players at center back who otherwise would be exposed in top-level football, and you can benefit from that. Um, I think an example of that is Varane. Uh, France uses Varane. Varane is spectacular for France. He's very good for United, but he's clearly limited on the ball. You don't really see that so much uh, for France. 
Um, on the other hand, you can play somebody who's brilliantly talented on the ball, and in those deeper spaces, they'll have a ton of time to pick out passes, and I think that's how Argentina could benefit from having Lisandro on the pitch. I hope he's not on Friday. Um, well, going back to your original example, that's how Francis Pogba, right? Yep, Pogba exactly. Back, at yeah. club level is a final third player. He is, he's a player who you're going to give the ball in the final third and let him essentially dictate the flow of your team's attack. Um, at club, at, sorry, at international level, he's this deep lying playmaker who just sprays range passes in a way that we've never seen before. And so in a way, it's a good move from Deschamps to go, you know, this player has this strength at club level, but at international level, his ability to hit the ball long range is going to be so useful from deep. Um, and it's going to be similar with Lissandro where, yeah, I would just play him because one, you're having issues with buildup systemically. Like you're going to be much better off with players who are really good in buildup. And two, yeah, he's going to have more space because he's not being pressed. So anyway, in terms of Argentina, I think, so another interesting point of conversation with the game was that a lot of people were saying, like, if the goalkeeper didn't make a mistake, Australia would have drawn the game uh, um, and been able to take it further. And I just thought, I don't really think that's the case necessarily. The second goal opened up the game, but I'm not necessarily sure that if it didn't happen, the game would have proceeded the same way it did. So it's one of those where, again, people are looking at, I don't want to say data. Data implies that it's some kind of sophisticated information. It's goals is what people are looking at. And they're saying it's 2-1. If Argentina didn't score, it would be 1-1. And like game state plays a huge role in the superficial numbers, which includes XG of how people interpret these matches. And they're not to be taken for face value. I don't think. You really shouldn't be assessing individual matches based on a box score, based on numbers you can talk about teams over like large periods with numbers and we do that and you should do that because it tells you things that you're gonna miss just by watching the games but if you're trying to talk about an individual match you kind of have to watch it yeah yeah and having having praised australia their goal was super fluky um it was incredibly lucky i think as well as that they still didn't really threaten once they opened up the floodgates so did argentina um, and the game became super transitional, and Argentina were creating the far better chances. So, as well as I think Australia did to limit the extent of the difference between these two teams, again, team does well to play to their strengths, other team is better. Yeah, I agree. I think Australia's only way of getting through this match would have been, you don't have that messy goal create imbalance in the game state. And you just see this out 0-0 to 120th minute plus, and you take penalties. Which, we actually had a round of 16 match. Round of 16 match happened exactly that way, which I think we're going to get to in a little bit. Interesting. Well, okay. Argentina, not looking super great going forward. Netherlands, looking good at preventing creation of chances. And playing to the opposition's strengths. Do you think they have a shot here? How do you feel? I definitely think the Dutch have a shot. I think no doubt about it. Um, I don't think this Argentina team are... Uh, I don't think they're the most talented team at the World Cup. I think they're probably like top five, top four. Messi is obviously the wild card because he can just score and the game is you know, put to bed. But I think, 
I think this Dutch team are like not that far behind from a talent perspective and make up a lot of the gap by being better coached. Um, and I don't think the matchup is that bad. So I think this is like a coin flip. Um, and I will take a coin flip. Once you get to the quarterfinals of, the, of a tournament like this, a coin flip is all you can ask for because you're always going to be playing good teams. What about you? Yeah, I think this is top or second top on upset watch. I'm putting upset watch in quotations because I don't necessarily think Argentina are actually the favorites here, but they are the on-paper favorites. So, yeah, I think this one's higher on the upset watch list. I don't think it's likely that... uh, And we'll get on to the second half, but I I think Netherlands have a genuine chance of being able to stifle their threat. Um, And if nothing special happens, that means that Netherlands are going to have the better chances to score. And, I mean, I'm not going to bet on nothing, nothing special happening, but I will say that I think that's a good position to be in against this Argentina team. I think if you're the type of team that's going to go and press them like Germany or Spain would have, I think that would be a little bit more difficult because you see what happens when they can open up the game. Yeah. I will say this. The Dutch have benefited massively from scoring early um, in a lot of their yeah. matches. Uh, they scored early against Ecuador in particular. Um, in a game that they otherwise got killed in. Um, and that was huge. And they scored early against the U.S. Um, and that had a big effect on the composition of the match. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, if the Dutch go up early, I think that'll put them in a really good spot because I don't think Argentina want to chase this game against this Dutch defense. They don't want to chase games against anyone. Yeah, but I definitely don't think they want to chase chase this game in particular. On the other hand, if Argentina score first, I don't know how the Dutch react. Uh, they haven't gone behind in, in this tournament. So uh, it'll be an interesting one. It'll be an interesting one for sure. Awesome. Uh, let's move on to the next one. France-Poland. I thought this was Poland's best performance of the tournament, but it didn't really matter, did it? Yeah, I, I, I agree their best performance, but the bar was pretty low. I thought Poland were awful. In the group stages, yeah. Um, they were not that bad for the first, what, 30-something? Until 40-something. the goal. Yeah, when was the goal in this, in this match? I think it was the 30th. 30th it was in the first half, yeah. Yeah. I don't think Poland were ever going to win this match. Uh, so, yeah, it was a better performance than I guess I was expecting, but still ended the way you'd expect. Uh, some shambolic defending on in transition for Mbappe's first goal, I felt. Uh, they gave him like 15 seconds and half of the field decides on the shot. Obviously, it's a great finish, so it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it wasn't great defending, but goddamn. <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting that shot. Like, I... Yeah. I mean, okay, so when I say Poland were better, let's be a little bit more specific here. Um, their block was more organized. It wasn't just like men in front of the goal. Um, it felt like they had two clear lines of four in this match that were actually used to prevent France from penetrating the box, which was good. And then when they got the ball, what they did throughout the group stages was just kind of like lump it up and hope that Lewandowski could take it under control. And they weren't doing that in this match, which was nice. They were delaying the play. I think part of the tactic here was to keep the ball for long periods of time so that you essentially limit the amount of time France can spend attacking. We saw the same thing with Argentina, uh, with Australia, doing the, doing a similar thing. But, yeah, ultimately, once they had to attack the game, it, it fell apart. And Mbappe put the match away in ridiculous fashion. That second goal is absurd. He's the, he's the player of the tournament, like, 
even if France, even if France go out in this match, in the quarters, you think? Yeah, um, yeah, he's so far ahead at this point for me. Like, I don't think you can give player of the tournament to a quarter finalist. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. I I thought I thought James Rodriguez was at least the third best player at the World Cup in twenty fourteen. That's true. Did Hummus win it that time? He won the boot. He Messi won the golden ball. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Because I think Hummus actually was probably the best player at that tournament. I don't know. I think he's going to win the golden boot at this point. I think it's going to be difficult for anyone to pass him. He's only uh, two ahead, right? Maybe Messi. I mean, if he gets if, if France don't go through and he gets blanked in this match, which I don't think is like totally out of the question. No, that, that yeah, that's possible. But then someone will have to score three. Um, because he's also got, I think, two assists. Ah, uh, you're right. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I I don't see... I don't think France have really been tested so far. Um, I don't know to what extent England will test them. So let's talk about England-Senegal. Um, I honestly thought Senegal were quite poor. I thought they were a bit disorganized. There were There was a period of about 20 minutes in the first half where they looked like they could do something... Their block was nice and organized. England had no ideas in build-up. And then when they won the ball, they were quite dangerous. They held possession for a little while. And then once they started getting into settled possession situations in England's half, England countered and scored. Yeah, that's an interesting... I didn't really view it that way. I thought England were quite poor until the, until their opener. Um, and I thought Senegal had their, had chances to win this match. I thought Senegal had a, had a penalty, really. I, I thought they had a penalty call that they should have gotten. I, I would by no means say they were spectacular. I wouldn't say they deserve to win this match, but I think things definitely could have broken differently um, before England's first goal. Once England score, Senegal get run over. Uh, definitely don't react well to going behind. Uh, but yeah, England were the better side, no doubt about it. And this sets up a really interesting matchup uh, in, in this quarterfinal. So, Yeah. Uh, I can't. I can't disagree with that too much. I do think Senegal had chances. I just thought it was a ra- it was around half of the first half that they ended up maybe having the better of, which is not enough to win a ninety minute match. Definitely, England were the better side in, in this match. I just think anytime you have one team outplay another team until a goal happens, it's just tough to say. It's tough to criticize too much because once game state changes, the match changes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I in terms of England, I just think this is tournament England. Like I, they just do the same thing. Um, their squad is probably my favorite squad at the tournament in terms of number of players I like. Um, but their way of playing is probably my least favorite among the big teams because they just honestly, it's like they don't want to play games. Like I don't understand a lot of what they do. It feels like they spend a lot of tournaments waiting for stuff to happen. And it feels like they avoid criticism by having easier opposition instead of actually being tested and coming through these tests with flying colors. Like in the major matches where they've been tested, I think they've gotten out quite lucky. Like Denmark in the last Euros, Italy in the last Euros, they obviously did not come out lucky. But they scored in the third minute and then just said sayonara for the next 115, right? Like, that's not how it works. Um, yeah, and against Croatia in 2018 as well. I think they have the capability to blow teams away, but they just never will or do. 
And I think there's this perception of tournament risk that I've been seeing a lot, where it's like, Sufferball works. Sufferball generates good outcomes. And it's obviously going to be fed more by Germany going out. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's the case, because the trade-off you're making is you're limiting variance, sure, but you're also creating opportunity cost. Because you might have limited variance for 80 minutes, but when you concede in minute 81, that's 80 minutes you could have spent trying to put the match away that you've now lost, right? And I just think England play on the very conservative side of that scale. And if you give a team 90 minutes to attack, any team, they're likely going to concede. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think, like... I think sufferball is definitely the way to go uh, if you don't have a, like an extremely talented squad. So if you're going like for example Morocco and Morocco, I think played quite well in their execution of what was a sufferball plan. Um, it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just clear. It's different. It's like the Premier League in that it's different when you have a team that is trying to outplay most of their opposition or a team that can outplay most of their opposition. Versus a team that is just trying to generate the best outcomes they can possibly generate. Yeah, I, I think you if you have a talented squad, uh, I definitely don't think you should be playing conservatively in possession. I think playing conservatively, and I'm putting conservatively in quotes because there's a lot of different things that can mean. Um, if you play conservatively out of possession, I can understand that, um, especially in these knockout formats. Uh, not being aggressive with your press and playing your center backs high up the pitch makes perfect sense to me. You just don't have enough time to train that stuff. Um, but if you've got the talent to break down a team, and I think you can definitely say England had the talent to break down Senegal, um, I think the rewarding thing to do is, like you said, to take it to maximize variance, really. Um, because you're like the basically the. the the more open a match you make, the more the more you the more you open up a match. If you have better players, the bigger the differential is going to be in terms of chances in your favor. If there's three chances in a match, and you are twice as good as the opposition, you will have one more chance than the opposition. If there's twelve chances in a match, and you are twice as good as your opposition, you will have eight chances, and your opposition will have four. You will have four more chances than your opposition. It just makes sense to open up matches a little bit. Yeah, well, I guess the argument against that is, you know, four chances could be four goals and has been at times in this tournament. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying don't play suffer ball, right? I'm not saying defensive football is bad. I think that's clearly the wrong outcome from this. But what I am saying is that England playing in these favorable nil-nil, one-nil situations against favorable opposition is limiting people's vision of how limited they themselves can be when they actually have the ball, um, which I think you sort of alluded to, which is like in buildup, they had no ideas on how to break yeah. Senegal down when Senegal settled into a shape, which is crazy. When you look at the players that England were playing, right? They had Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, um, John stones, like they're, they had Kyle Walker, like that back four is they're some of the most established players in the highest difficulty pressing, I think, league in the world at breaking down the first line of a defense. And they had no idea how to break down the first line of Senegal's defense. And that just makes no sense to me. I think there's there's 
something to say about limiting your pressing to concede to prevent conceding big counter opportunities, especially in nil-nil situations. But what I find super interesting about England is that when you task them with scoring goals, they can't actually do it despite having a squad that I think should be able to. And I don't think that's the case with France. I think France will break teams down when they have the ball more often than not. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily disagree I'm with that. I'm not saying France are coached optimally either. Yeah, There's I think a lot of issues I have with France, but I think France are like super exploitable tactically, but it is definitely a different beast. So, uh, yeah. We can leave England with that, I think. Do you think France are favorites then? I do. I do. I think England, I think England can win this match, but um if I were France, uh, the teams that I really wouldn't have wanted to have played, uh, Germany and Spain, are, are no longer in this tournament. Uh, and I don't, it's not because I think Germany and Spain were the most talented teams, uh, but because of the way they went about matches, I think it could have caused problems. On the other hand, Mbappe definitely could have scored a hat trick against like a Rodri, Laporte, Busquets defensive triangle, or Pau Torres. Um, for that matter. But yeah, I, I don't think England are well-equipped to beat France. They, they, they could do it, but like I don't think they're a bogey team for this France team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this one's honestly lower on upset watch for me than uh, Argentina versus Netherlands. So, yeah. I don't know. But I, I England could definitely win. Like It's higher than the other two games, which will be more... Uh, which come from the result of more interesting round of 16 ties, which we get to talk about now. So Japan, Croatia, let's start there. Japan had a good tournament. Um, they beat Germany, they beat Spain, and they almost beat Croatia. So I think they deserve to win this match. It's kind of tough for them to go out. Personally, I think they outplayed Croatia. Um, I think they did for stretches. I, I think for the, I would say for the, long, the longer stretches. Um, I, Croatia's goal was gorgeous. But, like, it actually wasn't that big of a chance. It was just, a, like, an insane finish. Brilliant header. Um, and, and I really don't think Croatia had, like, buckets of huge chances that they otherwise could have converted. And on the other hand, I think Japan had a few chances to win this game. Um, so, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter. You get to pens, you got to take your pens better than they did. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm normally not one to say, like, the pens were bad. I'm normally on the side of they were unlucky, but these pens were really bad. Like, really bad. They were lacking in power. They were lacking in placement. Just hit it hard. Like, just hit it hard. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that. I mean, and Croatia, a lot of talk before the match was, you know, Croatia have only scored in one match in this World Cup, which was against Canada going into this. Um, Two nil-nil draws. I think the more important talk was that they only conceded in one match against Canada. Um, and the goal, again, was ridiculous by Davies. And I just... They are really good at this, I think. I think they're well-coached. I think they... They can't they can't break down teams, right? They don't have the players to do it. Their attacking line can't break down teams, like, pretty much at all. Uh, but they are very good at managing games. Like, they're good at making it annoying to break them down. They're good at keeping the ball to delay. They're good at setting up a block. They are the team that I would give the better chance of beating Brazil, even though I think Japan played better um, in this 
particular match. I agree. I think they have a better chance of beating Brazil than Japan do. Um, I think Japan had some fortune, especially in beating Germany. Uh, and I don't... I, I think the game would have a very similar flow, Brazil-Japan, as like Germany-Japan did. And I think Brazil would probably score their chances and win. Uh, I think Croatia are pretty mediocre out of possession, actually. Um, which I think is why Japan had so much space uh, in moments during this match. Though I agree with you, I think Croatia have a pretty mature approach in possession. Uh, especially if they don't let this game against Brazil get out of hand. They definitely have a chance just because they can slow things down deep, deep, deep into extra time and then just get you to penalties. And then then it's a coin flip as long as you don't take your penalties the way Japan took their penalties. Well, they've done this now, right? They beat Denmark on pens in 2018. They beat Russia on pens in 2018. They beat England in extra time in 2018. And then they beat... Uh, Japan on pens in 2022, right? And this team's much worse than the 2018 one. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, it just feels like they're really good at taking these games and making them a much more daunting proposition than, than they should be. Um, and they're never fully out of the match unless you, unless you can put two goals past them before they can respond. Like they'll just drag these games out and. Which is pretty amazing. Also, side note, considering their star player is an old man, this is not what you'd expect. Yeah, um, it's an old team. It's, an, it's a really yeah. old team. He's still lying about his age, but it's fine. Um, yeah, so then then the Brazil match. Um, what did you make of this? Um, so credit to South Korea for advancing from the group. <laughs> that was a very backhanded compliment. Like, like, I wanted to start with that because it, this is going to sound very critical, but it's like, they were drawn into a group with two teams that I think were quite poor in Uruguay and Ghana. Um, Ghana were really reliant on individual moments. Uruguay were nothing. Bad. Just bad. Just um, bad because their squad is not very good. Yeah, so I think they got out of the group, one, on goal difference, and two on the technicality of playing a rotated Portugal side. Um, <laughs> a very conveniently rotated Portugal side where they took out all the good players in their starting 11 and left certain others. Yeah, I just don't I just don't really think they had a chance. Um, I don't think any of those three teams would have had a chance against this Brazil team. And then when you top it off with the fact that Brazil were just brilliant... Um, there's not much to say here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Brazil tore them up. Brazil scored early. This is another match where you score early and then you can put in a really impressive performance if you've got lots of quality in transition. Yeah, because South Korea have to score. Yeah. Uh, there's a world, I think, where Brazil don't take their early chances and, like, this game gets drawn out more, but I don't really think there's one where Korea advance... Unless there's some really lucky rolls of the dice. Uh, yeah. I think Brazil yeah. is a lot better. Um, which brings us to Brazil-Croatia. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah. I I do think Brazil should win here. I agree. The other, the other thing that's interesting is that I think South Korea were the first team to register a shot 
on Allison. Yeah. Um, then they took four on target. It was the first the first four shots on target um, that he faced. I unless Croatia can score first, I think this is really hard for them. It's going to be score first or drag it out. Uh, Brazil are strong defensively. They have ridiculous players going forward. Actually, actually, while we're at it, I wanna I wanna speak some Richarlison really briefly here. Um, he's amazing. He's so good, and he I'm really glad is he's amazing. finally getting his. I'm really glad he's finally getting his credit because, like Jesus, he he's played for respect to Everton, Watford, garbage teams for like years now, and produced consistently. I think there's like another world where he winds up, like just gets a role at with a team where he's a consistent starter for like a top six side. And we all just regard him as one of the better forwards in the premier league. Not like yeah. a great, I don't think he's like a, like, I don't think he's world-class, but he's really, really, really good. Um, I think I, I said this to you, I would have spent the bag on him in the summer and played him up front, but you know, that's, yeah. I mean, he's a cool player. He's a cool player. He, so the thing is he's low usage and high output, which is nice. Um, he works his ass off. He's really, really. He's good off ball. Yeah, he can carry. He can carry at teams in transition, which is nice. Good dribbling. Good decision making. Just really good in the air. Yeah, he's he's got every. He's part. got the hold up play of a striker, but the like running of a winger on the ball towards goal. Um, he he can just do so many different things, and you can just slot him into any team at, at any level, and he can make an impact, which is not usually what you have with traditional big players you usually have these like either strikers who are just strikers or you have floor raisers who are like I don't know, the ball guys like grealish don't really want to run yeah 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 so yeah i'm not surprised that he's playing up front for this brazil team a lot of people have been saying play gabriel jesus before he got injured a lot of people have been saying play firmino i'm not surprised it's for charleston because he's going to do all the work that the three behind him aren't going to do and just allow them to create for him and ben and have someone to benefit from what he can do. Um, this is another, this is the thing we see often with PSG with um, Mbappe, Neymar and Messi, where it's like one of them has to score. They can't all be the one who makes the pass. Right. So yeah, I think Richarlison's that guy for this Brazil team. And I'm not surprised that he's flying. Um, and so going back to the Croatia game, I just, yeah, I think Brazil's really strong. I think they're just good in every department. I don't think, Croatia as an attacking threat are going to be super threatening um, when pinned back. It just comes down to how much Croatia can disrupt the flow of this game to their content um, and and prevent Brazil from creating. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't think Croatia... I think Croatia could beat them. Uh, I don't think this is, like, game over. But I I haven't been that convinced by Croatia... uh, I think their best bet would be to do exactly what we talked about and slow this game down and get it deep into extra time. The thing is, Brazil have a really deep bench, and I kind of I don't really fancy Croatia to make this 120 minutes without conceding one or two. Um, yeah, and I, and I think two would be a death a, a death now. I, I I don't think Croatia scoring two against Brazil, uh, and I think one is not, basically a guarantee. They're not scoring two from two behind unless Brazil fall apart. Yeah, certainly not from two behind. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't know about upset watch with these two matches, but I feel like if the teams go as intended, I think this one's probably the least likely to end up in in an upset. So 
famous last words, but yeah, I don't really, I don't really see it. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about Spain, which I've been looking forward to because Spain, in my opinion, play a new kind of suffer ball and have for a while. And people give them credit because they see 75% possession and some elements of positional play and high pressing, but they just play their suffer ball in different areas, which is limiting the risk they take in possession, depriving the opposition of the ball. And yeah, I, I just don't think they do enough to create chances. A lot of people are talking about the quality of their attackers. Sure, they don't have Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe up front. Um, but they have good attackers. Morata is a good shot generator. Like, I I don't see 10 strikers in this tournament that are better at generating shots than Morata. Like, I, Giroud is not, like, a significantly better shot generator than Morata, but France are creating loads of chances for him. I think it comes down to... I wouldn't just cook it down to the striker, though. I think even in wide areas, I don't think... When I first saw the Spain squad, my first reaction was, wow, I thought Spain had more pure talent than this. Outside of midfield, I really wasn't that impressed with this squad. Kind of, but I don't think that's why they're not creating chances. Like, when you when you complete a thousand passes in a game and put one shot on the goal, that to me is tactics. That to me is, like, they have made a conscious decision to play this football that is going to make games difficult in a different way to what is typically done and i just i agree i'll say this much i'll say this much when spain won three consecutive tournaments from 2008 to 2012 they didn't actually play that differently from how enrique had enrique had them playing in this tournament um this football was really slow they didn't shoot a lot um they deliberately slowed down matches and took them very late and would score individual goals um, and I think a really key difference was that that squad was a lot more talented than this one was, even though I think in midfield, it actually, this, this Spain midfield is great. Um, but I do think when you play this like heavy possession, suffer ball, you kind of just need moments. And if you don't have incredibly elite final third players, you will have fewer of those moments and you'll be subject to things like going 120 minutes without, with one shot on goal. And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but I, I think Enrique is a better manager than Del Bosque is, for example. I think Enrique is a great coach. Um, I think my objection to the they played the same way that they do 10 years or they play the same way that they played 10 years ago is I don't think that, that works anymore. I don't think it's as effective now as it was 10 years ago. I think other teams have gotten better at stopping that, right? Like I and we've seen this in the Champions League. I think teams got better at playing low block and counter football, um, preventing you from being able to create, knowing to wait for their moment. Like I, I just think that it's more difficult to win this way now than it was ten years ago. And I, I agree about the squad quality, but yeah, ultimately, I just I'm I'm skeptical that playing a high press where you can concede opportunities in transition, forcing guys like, like you said, Laporte. Rodri, Busquets, Azpilicueta into one team, and, and Jordi Alba, like that back five. Putting that back five behind a high press, you're going to concede chances, and you're not capitalizing upon the territory that you have by not taking more chances to create. 
I don't know. They won one game out of four, ultimately, right? Yeah, they, they won that game like, seven nil. But and I think they outplayed Germany in, in that Germany match as well. So I'm not sure they outplayed Germany, but um, I don't know. I, I I by no means think Spain are great. I think they they definitely needed to do better than this. The Morocco performance was really bad. I also feel like watching the Costa Rica game, every shot went in. Or no, it wasn't quite every shot. But it's like, they scored with 7 out of 8 of their shots on target. Navas made one save. They were huge chances. A lot of them were huge chances. They were. They were. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It just, To me, I think they could have done more to score. I agree. They could have done more to score. I also don't think we're having this conversation if they just put away their penalties and win the penalty shootout. So, like, on the one hand, it's important. They could have done more. On the other hand... I would have had this conversation. Um, like, I don't know. I think I think losing to Japan in the group stages was a was a warning. Um, when they were down 2-1, it couldn't create, to me. I don't think they were trying that hard to create, though. Because there, there was only a moment, a very short period, where they had any reason to try. They were still top of the group, except for, like, three minutes, where Costa Rica went ahead against yeah. Germany. Yeah, that's true. I I don't think this was a great Spain team. I don't think they did everything they could. I just think I, I'm not willing to like do a huge extrapolation from what I think was really just one bad performance and some meh ones. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, let's talk about what Morocco did. Um, I don't know if they did anything particularly unique. It just felt like a good block and transition performance. They had some opportunities. They didn't create that much. Um, and they dragged it out and won on penalties. Spain had all that possession and it was stagnant. They weren't even getting close to creating chances. Yeah. This was an, an incredible out of possession performance. Um, I'm not yeah. sure they can replicate it because anytime you've got, you've got to defend for a hundred minutes I think we were probably defending for more than 100 minutes. Um, you're probably going to concede. And I think this Portugal team has a sharper edge, uh, especially now with Gonzalo Ramos, Gonzalo Ramos um, than the Spain team did. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm jumping ahead, but I, I they'll need the ball to roll kindly. Speaking of the ball roll, rolling kindly... Um, it rolled kindly for Gonzalo Ramos in this game, and I think Portugal looked like a different team. Yeah, um, this is another one where you score early. Hate to bang that drum, but like you score early, you can you can really put on a clinic. It's a good it's a good drum to bang, I think, because you don't see it. You still see it in league play, but we talk about the Premier League every week. Most of the time, most teams have to be trying to create something in the Premier League. Um, in this tournament, you see and in, in cup football in general you see long stretches of time where one team is literally waiting for the match to end like yeah that's they true. are trying that's to true. get the match to end yeah but i think portugal look really good now which is different i think if they don't play cristiano uh and they play the basically the lineup they played maybe with some minor changes if this is the third best team on paper at this tournament and i could be convinced they're the second best do you mean behind France and Brazil? Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I think the players in the team that are less recognized are also quite underrated. So, yeah, I think they're strong across the board. I 
they can create, they can defend, they can they can create transition, they can create possession. Like on the other hand, I wouldn't like because of that early goal. I try not to overreact too much. Um, yeah, they could go out and and put in a pretty stagnant performance against what I think is a much better out of possession side. Um, we're not. Switzerland actually, I think, are quite good out of possession. But the, I, what I think... The first goal has, broke their strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I think could prove to be a much more resolute challenge in Morocco, um, especially if they don't concede early. Uh, yeah. I think the challenge we didn't see against Switzerland that we will see against Morocco, which you've implied, is when they don't score immediately how do they go about breaking down the opposition defense? Because having good players is not enough, as we've seen. Like, especially with Argentina, we've seen that a good defense can stifle them. And I think the same applies to Portugal uh, against a good defense. And it'll come down to how they play when breaking down that defense that'll dictate this quarterfinal, I think. Because otherwise, it's going to be another Morocco drag this out for a long time um, type of game. And I think France might end up being similar, honestly. I think France will happily allow that game to become super difficult um, and rely on, you know, guys like Mbappe having looks in transition. But, you know. Or they'll just go back to playing suffer ball. That's also a possibility. So Yeah. Agreed. So, semifinal predictions? Uh, <laughs> um, I'll go Portugal, Brazil... France, and then my upset will be Netherlands. Yeah, I think those are my picks as well. Those are my picks as well. <laughs> Great. So at least three of them are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we get the one, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We'll get Portugal in the semifinal. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> um, all right. On that note, hope you're enjoying World Cup Devils in the Details. And I think next week we'll have our second last or last one. Uh, probably after these matches, when we reveal why we were wrong on every single one, because someone scored some goal that we did not foresee. But other than that, have a good week and keep enjoying the matches. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.